JT Fisher, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mark. Thank you very much. So, yeah, today um, we're going to, uh, it's, uh, what is the date? Saturday, October 1st, uh, 2022. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, stem cell therapy. Uh, so, yeah, tell me about, tell me a little bit about your background and your connection with uh, stem cell therapy. Well, I think I had first heard about it maybe in the 1970s on 60 Minutes or something where they said this was the new way that the world was going to be saved medically and then um, hadn't heard the term probably again um, until about a year and a half, almost two years ago. Um, so no, no awareness of it, didn't follow it. I'm not a medical background um, or a scientific background, came out of the business background. And uh, my wife was a 30-year uh, um, home health care uh, nurse who, um, who had a specialty in uh, wound care management. And um, even from that standpoint, she basically had the same kind of knowledge of stem cells, which is like nothing. You've heard the term, but you have no idea if those are being used or what they're being used for. Um, she, we've been married, uh, for about five years now, a little over five years. Um, during that whole time, she had multiple kind of autoimmune issues. She was always dealing with, uh, ranging from Epstein-Barr to, um, Lyme and other things that she could manage. Uh, I can't say that it looked like fun. Um, she would average one to two hours a night of sleep. And a um, lot of instability with her vital signs. So her blood pressure uh, would tend to go into hypertension very often. And, and to the point where in a given year, we might take her to the ER three different times for blood pressure of 210 over 170. I mean, like stroke level, you're gonna die within hours if you keep this up. Um, and then we both, uh, almost two years ago, got COVID and we had previously, prior to getting COVID, uh, we had booked a trip to come down to Mexico and just isolate, just you know, find places where we could be by ourselves. Um, so in January of 2021, we both got COVID. We both then had it turn into long COVID and uh, really decimated both of us, but I was healthy going into that and she had a very fragile uh, system. And literally by the time our kind of vacation was booked in March um, uh, to come down here, uh, she was basically dying. We had to wheelchair her through the airport. She, but she said, listen, I probably am at the end of my rope, but let's go someplace pleasant if that's going to be my last days. I kind of handicapped it. You got about 72 hours. And she basically handicapped it the same way. About three days is, um, is all she had left because of long COVID exacerbating everything uh, she was going through. She had lost one one third of her body weight in 30 days. So 40 pounds in 30 days because her body shut down completely uh, digestively. And when we got here, just, I mean, this is kind of tee this all up because it's like um, you come from a position of knowing nothing about it. Um, 
having kind of tried, she had tried everything in the medical world for all of her conditions. All of it had either failed or I think we were spending $2,000 a month on supplements just for her to try to have uh, nutrition. Um, and this was before the long COVID kicked in. When that kicked in, it, she couldn't even take the supplements, which is why she lost so much weight so quickly. So we got down here and literally, this is kind of the crazy way, um, you know, the old saying, uh, um, coincidence is God's uh, way of remaining anonymous. We had booked an Airbnb here. And when we got here, the, our hosts, uh, Tony and Roseanne, Canadian couple, um, in their right around 70 years old, give or take, they looked at her as we pulled into the driveway in a taxi. They looked at her and said, hey, uh, if you don't mind saying so, your wife is really sick. And we said, yeah, we really know. And they said, why don't you just go get her stem cells and make her well? And we looked at them like they have uh, three horns on their head. And then we said, well, what do you mean? You know, we know what stem cells are, but they said, oh yeah, stem cells are very common down here. Our doctor, uh, Tony said, my doctor has it. And I used to have uh, diabetes. And um, so I went to her and I go once a month and I don't have diabetes. And I said, well, I can't imagine we can get a doctor's appointment for my wife, you know, immediately he goes, oh yeah, uh, she doesn't like, their office doesn't put a priority on phone calls, but if you walk over, they'll give you an appointment probably tomorrow. Sure enough, I walked over to this doctor's office, got an appointment for the next day. Um, the next day, my wife got a tiny, tiny shot, 10 million uh, stem cells. And literally within hours, her color changed from kind of pallid gray um, to kind of the pink and peachy tones coming back in. Um, she started saying, I'm hungry. And I actually want, you know, food she hadn't eaten in years. Um, the basic things like salad. She's like, I want a salad and I want, you know, tomatoes and onions and all these things that would, that would trigger her. Um, within a day or two, um, she was able to walk around. Uh, we would walk around town and she would, you know, she'd walk like a mile. And for her, that was a tremendously big deal. She hadn't walked a mile in, in months. And uh, uh, pretty soon she's like, okay, now I'm having cravings for foods that my body would just automatically uh, react to. Um, the improvement just kept uh, happening. Roll forward now. Um, close to two years. And she takes no supplements. She would tell you that out of well over 70 recurring serious symptoms that she had prior to this, she's down to one, which is um, transitory hypertension, meaning once in a while, something will trigger her and she will feel her blood pressure go up and she will take a pill for that and it will come back down but she is on no meds at all. And she doesn't have to take like clonidine or things like that on, her, on any consistent basis. It's very situational. So basically she's, she is in a position of saying, uh, my, uh, my life is now manageable. She's traveling right now. She's been traveling for about two months on doing things with family and other things. Uh, she has a full life. And she said, yeah, you know, I'm not in as good of, a, of shape as, you know, maybe I've been at 
the best of my life, but I have a good quality of life and um, don't have to worry about, uh, about dying anytime soon. It was during those uh, days after her first stem cell treatment, because she had been in all these online communities for people with Epstein-Barr and people with, you know, different, um, uh, you know, uh, chronic and mostly autoimmune related uh, diseases. She had been in those for decades. And she said, I know tens of thousands of people, not personally that she know them all, but she said, I know many of the people in those groups. I've known them for decades. They're all suffering the same thing. She goes, I just want to stay. I want us to stay here. And I want us to let people know what this can do to help because it, this doesn't exist. It, it's not even really uh, talked about in, in the United States. So that's when I said, um, okay, well, um, I'm all in because it saved your life. So let's just make this happen. And we have been doing it full time, uh, seven days a week ever since. Uh, that's incredible. Um, and, and like you, I, I, you know, had not, have not heard much about stem cells over the years. Um, uh, you know, I probably heard about it before, but I remember when Christopher Reeve was alive and he had had his injury and was paralyzed from the neck down, was on a ventilator and wasn't able to move. Uh, he was, um, you know, in, in favor of stem cells. He was talking about it. He, he was advocating for more research and more use of stem cells. And, and probably he had hoped that it might improve his condition. And, um, and I, I always thought of the reason we don't have stem cells in the U.S. or in general. I mean, I guess we do. I guess there's different kinds, and maybe we we certainly have some kind of limited stem cell therapy here. But I, I thought it was like an anti-abortion issue or something like the, you know, conservative or, or religious right or something like that. Not to get political at all, but um, you know, I, I thought like there's a group of people that feel that you know, and and I don't know. I thought I also thought it was something related to embryos and. IVF embryos or, or something like that. But, you know, when I read up on it, um, you know, there's, I guess, platelet-rich plasma, there's adipose tissue, there's uh, umbilical cord tissue. So is this not like a, uh, a pro-life anti-abortion issue? Is there some other reason why the U.S. is not offering this therapy, uh, you know, here to patients? You know, Mark, I, you're, you're hitting on a lot of the things that I think set it back um, <clears throat> This is getting off off track, but um, I once saw an interview with uh, Burt Reynolds, and this was, you know, I don't know, at least 10 years ago, um, but long after his early days in his career. And the uh, interviewer, um, young man, uh, opened it with sort of a flippant comment. He said, Bert, I've been waiting to meet you for a long time and ask you this question, or, you know, ask you if you realize something. And, uh, about that um, movie Deliverance that you made, which made him kind of a star. And uh, Bert said, what's your question? And he goes, do you realize you set, you single-handedly set back the sport of whitewater rafting by 20 years? And Bert cracked up like, yeah, I can see why people didn't want to go whitewater rafting after that. What, what if you kind of look at the chronology of it, um, back what they were looking at for stem cells back in the 70s, uh, you know, these stem cells have been kind of known and around for, you know, throughout the 20th, most of the 20th century. And then it really became a, a research focus uh, for a period of time, even in the, you know, around the world, um, you know, kind of in the 70s and 80s. But at, at the time, you know, there was more, far more unknown than known about stem cells. And 
there was a lot of focus on embryonic stem cells. And the idea was, okay, you have um, a baby that's, you know, uh, born um, that's not living, or you have an aborted fetus or whatever. So a lot of the research was going on on that. And as soon as um, kind of the word got out, hey, stem cells come from aborted babies. Okay, you, you basically set back the sport of stem cells for about 40 or 50 years, uh, particularly in the US. But during that time around the world, research continued and they kind of moved away from um, embryonic, not only because of the um, hangups and you know legitimate uh, questions and feelings people would have around um, embryonic and aborted fetuses and all of that stuff, but they also found out um, embryonic stem cells uh, are not optimal. Um, embryonic stem cells are like cells with, you know, think of it, you start out with a, a spermatozoa and an egg, and nine months later, you have a living, breathing bowling, you know, something the size of a bowling ball um, with all kinds of formed organs and everything. It's because those embryonic st uh, stem cells can do anything and they kind of, uh, um, what would you call it, enhance or accelerate everything. So they will help build all cells. Well, the problem with that is if you have a tumor cell, a cancer cell, um, they can, uh, they can spur the growth of those as well. So you kind of have a cell that's um, too powerful and it has profound you know, potential side effects. Um, I've gotten stem cell therapy. I don't, I don't uh, there is no risk. I may have tumors in me. I, you know, we all may have some cancerous cells. They may be very latent and inactive. You wouldn't want to put something in you that all of a sudden activates those. Um, which is a risk with uh, embryonic. The uh, state of the art today is mesenchymal stem cells. Um, they come from birth matter. Um, our lab, well, we think we have the best lab um, in the world that we know of in terms of quality of product. It's uh, uh, licensed by Cofapris, which is the Mexican FDA. Um, and there are only a couple of labs in Mexico that are licensed and go through all of the accreditation and annual testing and so forth. But our labs, uh, the Dr. Nario who owns and runs that lab, he said, no, I would never deal with embryonic. It's not the ethical issues. It's that they're not the best tool in there. Um, the mesenchymal stem cells that are in particular extracted from umbilical cords and out of the Wharton's jelly. And again, I'm not the medical or the science person. I've seen the diagrams on all this, but out of the Wharton's jelly uh, within the um, umbilical cord, that is the purest, um, most potent uh, stem cells you can get. And they have, uh, there are no papers available. I've done the research. I've talked to many doctors and said, is there any indication that mesenchymal stem cells um, have any of those kind of adverse uh, reactions like, you know, uh, tumor, tumor formation or acceleration or anything to say, not one case has ever been uh, documented or alleged that, that they do. So um, it's, it's kind of the right uh, tool. It's abundantly available and um, it doesn't require, you know, it, it doesn't get into kind of any of the uh, ethical uh, uh, or political or whatever um, considerations. 
Okay. Okay. Perfect. So, so no baby was ever was harmed. I mean, even if we define baby as from conception, that no no child was harmed, uh, nobody was harmed, and these will not cause cancer. So that's that's excellent. Um, now, now one thing I, I wanted to go go into a different topic um, just for now, and then come back to some of these things. But uh, I want to share this interview with um, the basically the, the benzo injured uh, community, people who've taken benzodiazepines. For many years, and and then they they start tapering off. Sometimes they have adverse reactions to the medication, and and that causes them to want to come off. Or sometimes they they find out that these drugs are now known to be toxic. So yeah. when they try coming off, they realize coming off is not as easy as they might have thought. It's very difficult, and there can be protracted withdrawal symptoms that can go on for years and years. And and some of the symptoms are are similar to to what your wife may have gone through. Uh, very similar, even though you know it's different causes. And, and there's also similar reactions to other psych meds, you know, antidepressants, you know, people think, or they may have thought like, you know, Prozac was a harmless kind of a thing, you know, just to elevate your mood or stabilize your mood. Right. And then they, you know, not to beat up on Prozac, you know, there's Paxil, Zoloft, Lexapro. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah. And then these drugs turn out like to not be so benign, you know, messing with neurotransmitters may yep. cause some kind of brain injury on a microscopic level that we don't even know what's happening or they're, you know, leaky neurotransmitter sacs? Is, is it, uh, um, you know, a problem with the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, the powerhouse of the cell, the uh, mitochondria. It, you know, now they're talking about mitochondrial dysfunction in the brain and uh, all kinds of issues. You know, one one person even told me that it's an electron issue. Um, you know, there's all kinds of theories and, uh, you know, different solutions. Some of the solutions may sound like snake oil and, you know, people try all kinds of different things and you know, someone listening to this right now may be in their room suffering with akathisia where they can't sit down, they feel an inner pain, and they're just pacing around and like thinking they may have this ahead of them for years. And they're like, well, well can stem cells help me? And from what, what you've said so far, it sounds like it's something maybe more for autoimmune conditions, but, and, and, and a benzo injured or a psych drug injured person, iatrogenically injured by, by medication is not necessarily an autoimmune issue. Is there a possibility that, that this might help them? So Mark, you, that's so many kind of target-rich topics there. Um, the first year and change that we were doing this, uh, I can say 90 plus percent of our clients, um, you know, 90 to 95 percent, uh, were autoimmune and in particular long COVID and usually co-mingled. Uh, and, you know, that there were the stem cell uh, protocols that we put together with our doctors and kept refining client after client, um, just worked better and better. And a lot of people went from, I don't have a life, I can't even get out of bed, you know, really formerly fit people um, who, one particular lady who's been very generous with, uh, with her time and feedback to, uh, to the community. Um, ran a marathon the month before she got COVID. She got long COVID and then she spent uh, a year where, you know, basically a year and a half, whatever, in bed, um, unable to do anything, unable to stand, unable to walk, needing to be uh, fed, showered, whatever. Um, so we saw that. And then what we weren't really paying attention to, honestly, is, you know, we we're having people fill out these lengthy medical questionnaires and send in all their lab results. Lab results can oftentimes with autoimmune or with drug injured people can look just fine um, where you don't see anything on the lab result that says you've got a huge kind of uh, 
uh, organ type problem or something like that. Um, but um, we started to get people who came in and said, yeah, long COVID, and my wife's a great example. She had been on um, Xanax for close to 20 years. She could not, and when I started out by saying she would sleep one to two hours a night, um, unless she took Xanax, and then she would get maybe a couple more hours sleep, but she'd been on it forever, and other drugs um, that were prescribed as, hey, these, you know, anti-anxiety, antidepressant, um, and uh, we had clients who started saying, hey, I came here to get rid of this long COVID stuff. My akesthesia went away within a day or two. And they said, you need, you know, here's the clients telling us, you need to realize I've, I've been in drug withdrawal for um, six months, 18 months, five years, partial withdrawal, complete withdrawal where they, you know, they're off the drug or they're partially off the drug. They're like, I didn't think I could get rid of this. And all of a sudden it's gone and started to tell us, you know, if this word gets out to the drug injured community, cause they've tried everything else under the sun and they're, I'm gonna hold just for a second motorcycle going by, um, but they've tried everything else under the sun. They've spent, you know, ungodly amounts of, of money. And there's in many cases, as injured or more injured, because every time they go to another doctor, they actually get a prescription for something else, which then triggers them. Uh, the last several months, we, we now have a stream of people coming through with uh, drug injuries. Benzo would be number one by far, um, but you also do get the uh, antidepressants, anti-anxiety, and usually it's a mixture of those. But, um, we're seeing a lot of commonality that the same things that would trigger you to be autoimmune unstable are the same things that you've got damaged neuroreceptors, what, whatever it is that's causing you to take a piece of bread and, and eat that and then be violently ill for you know, hours or days. So you, your body's overreacting to that. Well, same thing in the drug injured, they can take a small amount of any kind of food or uh, you know, other things, sunlight or heat or noises or uh, you name it, that can trigger them. And it's, it's damage to, uh, to our systems, both neural damage. And I think there's a, what we've observed is a lot of commonality of GI damage um, in both cases, the autoimmune crowd or the drug injured crowd. So you're not able to process food correctly, which means then your brain and other things are not getting, getting fed uh, correctly. Um, so we have been working with our doctors, including doctors in the U.S., doctors in Mexico, uh, on refining these protocols for drug injury. And we're seeing the same kind of things where it's not, an, it's not a silver bullet for anything. But you have people while they're here going, I, I haven't had a, been able to tolerate, um, say, a drink of coffee in years because the caffeine would trigger my, uh, uh, my uh, you know, benzo withdrawal um, symptoms. And they're going, now I can, and I don't get triggered at all. And I could, I could go through story after story after story of clinical observation. And it's when my wife said, we've kept thorough records of every 
client over the last, and you're talking hundreds of clients. And she said, most of them are like her, meaning you, you could say, are you a long COVID or an autoimmune injured or a drug injured? And the answer is you're some of all of the above. We have a very few people who were like me who were just a pure play long COVID injured. And then you just needed treatment for the injury of that organ that got injured. Um, so then we started, you know, looking at the progress of these clients and going, hey, you know, they, they said they had 70 symptoms and they listed them out in, or, you know, we have those records. And now we talk to them, they're like, yeah, I'm down to like three or one. And a lot of the long COVID or the uh, uh, drug injury is gone. So it seems like those are two separate paths, but you know, kind of clinical, clinical observation speaking, um, we're seeing that they are, uh, there's a lot of parallel there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, to some degree, I, I think, you know, just a trip to Mexico would have some, uh, you know, therapeutic benefit to someone, you know, just, uh, you know, just getting away, getting out of the house and taking a, um, you know, you're surrounded by, you know, because with the benzo injured crowd, also drug injured crowd, they tend to have, um, misunderstanding family, you know, wondering why you're laying around all day and not getting back to work. And, you know, maybe you're addicted and maybe you have other other issues going on. Maybe you need therapy or more psych drugs. And, you know, just getting out of the house and getting away from that, uh, that abusive environment and, and maybe taking a trip to a, a retreat uh, can definitely, and, you know, eating healthier foods can have some benefit. Um, but, but, you know, it sounds like there's definitely something to the way, way beyond that to the treatment. So what what would I'm curious about? Um, and this is a maybe a big question of the difference of like say someone who gets this treatment in the, in the United States, uh, someone who goes to say the the Cayman Islands, which had, I guess they have some clinics there and they're a little bit different, uh, or in Mexico. And I know there's a difference. I would say the U.S. is by far would be most likely be the most expensive with the most limited availability of types of treatment. And I had read something about the Caymans. They 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 get their their stuff from the U.S. even though like it can't be you know there there's a thing about there so they're probably a little bit less expensive can do a little bit more and there's something about cryo frozen stuff yeah cryo frozen cells and then you have something different there so can you talk a little bit about that about what people would get in different parts of the world and what the cost would be and what the efficacy would be and what they're actually getting yeah Mark I think you've kind of hit on the maybe the three biggest differentiators. We, we have a list that we provide to uh, just to anybody. It's, it's on our Facebook page where we go, hey, no matter where you get stem cells, you can go to Panama, you can go to Grand Cayman, you can many places here in Mexico, here are, the, here are the questions that you ought to ask as your due diligence. And if you don't get good answers on these in advance, please don't spend your money doing it with us or anyone else. Um, and, but it breaks. So long list of questions that they can kind of burrow into and really start to understand their stem cells, but kind of break it into maybe three major sets of questions. Um, number one is um, where do stem cells come from? Um, are they, so um, it is legal in the US for me to go to a doctor and have them extract um, tissues from me. Uh, then from that, extract the stem cells, enhance the stem cells, and then put them back in me. That is legal today. The problem with that is as we age, we have less and less stem cells and our stem cells are uh, not nearly as robust. And so um, 
as you take my stem cells, I'm a 60 year old man, as you take my stem cells, you are not getting robust stem cells to begin with, but then to grow them in a lab, you're basically, um, for lack of a better word, you are doing it in um, kind of generations of stem cells. You grow a generation, then grow a generation from that and another generation, they call them passages. Um, but you don't know how many passages it went through, but you are basically diluting the quality and the viability of those cells each time you do a passage. Um, so within about five generations or passages, um, you basically don't wanna use them anymore. You're, you're getting cells that probably have more con than pro. Um, but secondly, you get, um, you can go online and say, I wanna buy stem cells. Uh, you can buy some on Amazon that, literally a bottle for, I don't know, $40. It says vegetarian stem cells. They're <laughs> taken from vegetables. We have clients who go, I went to Mexico and I got stem cells and I got home and found out they were from shark or they oh, were wow. from pig or cow. And you're like, oh my God, I wish you would have looked at, you know, first, where are they coming from? With um, us taking them from, uh, you know, live birth, birth byproducts, then immediately taking those as if they're an organ transplant over to a lab where they are tested for, you know, all kinds of, you know, uh, diseases, um, exposures to uh, uh, anything that could, um, that could transfer, you know, adverse wise. Uh, you're kind of saying I'm getting the most potent stem cells that exist and then putting, then uh, propagating those and then putting them into me. So number one, where do they come from? Number two, you hit on, which is frozen. Uh, the, to uh, the best of my knowledge, and I think you uh, referenced that as well, the lab in the Grand Caymans gets their stem cells from, or the clinic in the Grand Cayman gets their stem cells from a lab in Colorado Springs. Uh, when the lab creates those stem cells, uh, they cryo-freeze them. And that's kind of negative 100 degrees type uh, Celsius. Um, it's super, super, super frozen, right? Then you ship them to the clinic, and then at some point they are thawed out and for use. Uh, we've posted, I've posted in the last week or 10 days, two different studies, one most recent from the uh, national NIH, that showed that roughly in ideal lab um, conditions, if you unfreeze stem cells, you go uh, if you cryo-freeze and unfreeze stem cells, you kill 40% of the stem cells in perfect conditions. Another study that was out just in days earlier had the same kind of range saying, you know, you're going to get anywhere from 30 to 60% viable stem cells, which means you're getting 70, you know, 40 to 70% dead stem cells. Um, so cryo-frozen is a huge disadvantage. And that, that has two aspects. Number one, um, when you get stem cells, if I buy 100 million stem cells uh, or 50 million, pick the number, I'm counting on getting the benefit of the 50 million. If you tell me that only, let's just for round mass, say 50% are live, I'm really only getting 25 million stem cells, but I'm getting charged for 50. So that's not good. But even worse, once you get below about 95% viability, meaning that you know, if five or more percent of your stem cells um, are no longer viable, they're basically floating around dead cells, and you put them into you, your body will want to immediately detox those just like a virus. And so now people go, 
I went and got stem cell treatment and I felt good for a few days. And then I got sick for months, weeks mm -hmm. or months. And it's okay, but what percent of your cells were viable? And the doctors that we work with down here say, if you're getting um, frozen stem cells, count on up to 100% of those being non-viable because the studies I was referencing, those were perfectly frozen stem cells and then perfectly flawed stem cells that never left a lab. When you ship this via FedEx or DHL to the Grand Cayman, then it's kept in a uh, refrigerator at the clinic. Um, is it being kept at minus 100 C or minus 86, whatever that number is, uh, centigrade? You don't know. Um, how did they thaw it out? There's a protocol for how you thaw those. So the more of these things you don't do precisely, then the more things you do outside of a lab, the more non-viable cells you're getting, meaning the more your body's going to go, oh, good, I got detox or I got the stem cell treatment, and I immediately go into a self-detox mode. So frozen is bad. Um, we are a one-hour drive without traffic and about a two to three-hour drive with traffic from our lab here. Every single day that we do treatments, um, our labs finish the stem cells at about 2.30 in the afternoon. We have a driver waiting there at the lab. Um, they're brought out in a... Um, uh, Stiver uh, foam box with the kind of foil um, thermal liner with um, some ice blocks in the, the, the freeze packs in there with the stem cells. The stem cells were never frozen. They're just being kept cold. The driver drives up here, arrives typically around 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, we do the treatments starting at about 4.30 in the afternoon. So people's stem cells at that point, they were created between 10 and 2 10 in the morning and two in the afternoon, and you're getting treated with them um, at 4.30 in the afternoon to say, you know, 7.30 in the afternoon, depending on timing. Um, so they're hours old. Our typical viability, every single vial that someone uses um, has a viability report for that vial, not for, you know, what the lab did last year or some random sample, but it was tested today in the lab and here's your viability. Our number, uh, will tend to be between 98% and 100%. If you said, what's the mean number out of that? About 99.5, percent um, viable, meaning the number of percent of dead cells is typically, virtually always less than 2%. And I would say typically about half a percent or less. So you're getting the freshest cells. You're not going to react to uh, bad cells or dead cells. Then the third leg of the stool would be um, most clinics are a one size fits all. You go to Panama, you go to Grand Cayman, you'll pay a certain amount, you'll get a certain amount of cells over a certain amount of days. Typically, you're going to spend uh, $20,000 to $40,000. You're going to get 200 million cells that are going to be delivered to you in two treatments um, over basically a three day period, and then you're going to be sent home. Okay, doesn't matter if you are 400 pounds and I'm 80 pounds, it doesn't matter if um, I've got long COVID and I've got some uh, lung damage that needed to be replaced, that's a true story. Um, uh, and my wife has everything under the, you know, under the sun wrong with her, also true story. We're gonna get the exact same protocol. Um, we don't ever do that. Every single client gets an individual plan developed per these protocols 
for their drug injury with the what else do they have going on. Then it gets reviewed by doctors who they're medical doctors. They usually have a specialty, could be, um, you know, they could be a, a medical doctor with an oncologist or a lot of orthopedic type doctors, general practitioners, but they also are certified by the state, by COFAPRIS, um, for stem cell uh, regenerative therapy. So they look at your, at your plan and go, yes, I think this is appropriate for them. No, no two plans for us um, are the same uh, per client. So now you're getting something that says, um, this is suited to you. And the way that plays in for the drug injured is uh, there's a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear factor for the drug injured because they get, they've learned. I get triggered by everything and anything new I get prescribed could make me worse, just like all the meds I've been prescribed that I was told were safe and then made me worse. Um, so they tend to want to come in and go, I want a very, very small treatment. And then I want some time afterward to see how I respond. And then we'll talk about you know, what the next treatment is, when the next treatment is, how much uh, that treatment is. And we go, that's the exact right way to do it. So you're not you're not locked into, sorry, you prepaid and you're getting this much. If you don't take it, you know, you can go on home. Uh, so uh, customized, you know, personally adapted plans versus one size fits all, um, frozen versus fresh, and where are these cells coming from? Yeah, yeah, and that, that's that's actually, a, that's a great point. You know, um, the uh, people who have been drug injured uh, can be sensitive to almost anything. So, uh, you know, being able to start at a low level and just try it out. Uh, that's that's a great thing. Um, I, I was wondering when you talk about the, the stem cells being fresh and uh, you know they from the morning and from the lab and then uh, brought to the patient. Are, are these actually coming from like you know is, is was it that a baby was born that morning and they they were sourced from umbilical cord tissue from that that an actual birth and on that same day? No, uh, the the way the process works first. The only uh, birth matter that is accepted by our lab um, comes uh, from births that were uh, cesarean section, not vaginal. Um, and the reason is to not um, introduce any kind of bacteria or other things in that birth process. Uh, so when that is, when a uh, woman has the, um, uh, has a cesarean uh, birth, and in Mexico, that's pretty abundant. 50% of births here in Mexico, across the whole country, are cesarean section. It's both a medical training issue and a cultural um, issue. They kind of say, you know, when you get pregnant, you kind of know nine months in advance that you're going to have your baby. And that is both, you know, mothers and, and doctors tend to view it as, well, this is the way we don't just wait until the baby wants to come out. Um, so there's, a, there's a, I think in Guadalajara, there's 160,000 cesarean sections uh, births uh, per year. So there's abundant material. A, um, uh, a single um, uh, umbilical cord produces enough material to make billions and billions of stem cells. The, when the birth happens, the materials are taken directly uh, from the hospital uh, to a lab, note in uh, the same kind of handling procedures you use for a uh, organ transplant. At the lab, the umbilical um, cord is uh, basically um, made into smaller uh, pieces 
Um, and then those pieces are frozen and stored. When um, we put in an order for stem cells, the, those bits of um, umbilical cord are taken out of freezing and then um, the uh, put in, you know, put in machines that extract the stem cells and then are uh, grown through the passages as, as we talked about. Our lab limits that to five passages, anything after that, any cells that are remaining after that are, are, dis, uh, are thrown out. Um, so there's a freezing of the umbilical cord itself. If you're doing cryo-frozen cells, then you're doing a double freeze because you frozen the umbilical cord and now you unfroze it and now you're creating the cells and now you're freezing those and then you have to unfreeze those. Yeah, is there any risk of, uh, you know, like, like if the mother had HIV or anything else that might be transmissible to, to a, a fetus, is there any risk of uh, that kind of thing? So all of the um, donors, uh, uh, health records are evaluated to make sure that they have no prior history of HIV or other diseases. Um, and then in the labs, now, again, I'm gonna put a big asterisk um, in state licensed labs um, that really have high integrity. Um, every single one of our, um, the, you know, vial of cells before it is handed to you, it has a, a lot number on it. That lot number comes with a report that has that lot number and has your name on it. And it says, here are the, here's everything about the viability and the quality testing that was done to make sure that you've got high quality cells that have not been exposed to, um, you know, to anything that would cause an adverse effect. We've had our, our labs that have been around mm, 15 years. Um, they've never had a case of anything kind of transmissible uh, that has, you know, resulted from stem cell, you know, being used in someone else. Okay. Uh, now, let me, let me, the big asterisk. We know many of the labs here. We, we've been doing this where um, my wife in particular could call six of them in a given day and they would all know her. She's been to their facilities. A lab here can, we, she can tell you stories of going into as someone's apartment and the lab is in the kitchen. Okay, so that's a lab. Now, is that a state licensed lab? Absolutely not. Is it something that I could Google right now and find their products available? Absolutely, yes. Um, so there's a range between ours, which is state of the art. Um, I go, uh, my wife and I go down to uh, CV cell lab. We know Dr. Fabian, his sister, um, uh, Carolina. She runs, she's kind of the COO, runs it on a day-to-day -day basis. I can drop in basically 24 hours a day um, and you know, look at the operation, go through the lab. It's all um, state inspected. They do independent trials every single year where uh, you, you take a certain um, bit of birth matter. It's, it's um, CB cell runs their array of tests on it and an independent lab that they do not choose, that the government chooses, does the same array of tests. They compare, if all the tests are 100% uh, aligned, then you have your uh, uh, renewal of your state certification. To my knowledge right now, I cannot name another one, another, another lab that 
is at that level of quality and provides you with real documents pertaining to your lot. I, we both know, my wife and I both know labs where they'll say they do the testing and I can, we posted some out on our site a few months ago, about a month ago, showing that uh, clients six months apart got identical reports with identical viability. And that can never happen. Like that statistically yeah. cannot happen. So they're just photocopying reports. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned something before that, that uh, I'm curious about. You mentioned lung damage. And what about mm -hmm. someone who has COPD from years of smoking or someone who has asthma and over the years it becomes uh, uh, irreversible and they have permanent lung damage and they're on every possible asthma drug you can think of or, or you know, breathing drug and, and just, you know, and steroids and, and nothing is really working and they just keep getting worse. Uh, so what kind of improvements have you seen with, with lung disease? I'll give you two great um, examples that I witnessed personally, and they're kind of the kind of a, on a spectrum. And I'm case number one. I literally uh, got long COVID and I was an endurance athlete. I mean, I was a guy who um, rode, or I, I never rode, I raced bicycles in hundred mile bike races around the country, you know, doing a five, six hour hard ride on a given day was like, okay, that's just what we do. You know, one of these, uh, middle-aged guys who wants to go, you know, Uber achieve on, on a bicycle and play that game. So I had great lungs and great cardiovascular. I got long, uh, long COVID, um, when got my lungs x-rayed and it looked like both lungs had freezer burn to a significant degree over like just white areas um, where the tissue is damaged as you uh, probably well know lungs are not a regenerative um, uh, organ in our body like our heart and like our brain so they weren't going to fix themselves um, my lung capacity within that matter of weeks of long COVID was walk to the end of my driveway and then sit down and wait until I could get enough breath to walk to the end of my back of my driveway. And my driveway was, was about 30 or 40 feet long. So we're not talking about, you know, a mansion in the woods. Uh, I mean, my cardiovascular was exhausted by walking up one flight of stairs. Uh, I got x-rays right before I did stem cell treatment. I got x-rays 90 days after stem cell treatment. I don't have any white surface at all. My lungs look as clean as they did before COVID. That was great, but that was a short-term issue. The damage was very fresh and I got stem cells right as it happened. So, okay, I'm one end of that spectrum. I've got a good friend who is a CEO of a public tech company and um, he got COVID right at maybe approaching a year ago. Um, they literally, uh, because he had sarcoidosis, so his lungs were in far worse shape than mine. He was a phenomenal athlete all his life, but he said, I don't know how I got it because I never smoked a cigarette in my life. He goes, I hated him because my dad sat at home and smoked four packs a day. And he goes, so I, I, you know, I didn't cause it to me, but he said, you know, we had a very small house and dad would smoke four packs a day at home. So his lungs were, were fried, you know, since he was, uh, increasingly fried since he was a kid. He got COVID and um, they brought in the family and read him last rites and told the family he's not going to make it to morning. He doesn't have any oxygen in his body. He can't breathe. He did 
um, the family switched doctors like on the spot because they said, well, we'll try anything. They got another doctor, took a look at him and said, okay, I think I have some ways to get him through the night. And he said, but I have nothing I can do about his lungs. Um, he did make it through the night. And so my friend, when he got you know, back on his feet, he still could, he sounded like an old man wheezing. He asked his doctor, he said, um, well, I do have a friend in Mexico and he's doing the stem cell stuff. Do you think I ought to do that? And this doctor said, a hundred percent because he said next time you get COVID and you will you're going to die you're now injured again from COVID on top of your sarcoidosis he said yeah you better get down there before you get it again um so my friend came down he typically was up every morning at about 4 a.m because he could sleep from about 1 to 4 a.m but then his oxygen levels would get too low and that would wake him up and so it, never got much sleep um we he was here for five days he got treatment the night he arrived at about eight o'clock in the evening we were all staying his wife and then us and we had our doctor and nurse that were treating him all staying in this lovely hotel in guadalajara the next morning my wife and i are at breakfast and my friend's wife comes up and sits down with us. And we're like, um, we presume he's up and working. And she said, no, he hasn't woken up. It's eight in the morning, you know, going on nine in the morning. She goes, he's, he's going on like eight hours of sleep right now. And she goes, I, you know, I left the room just so he can continue to sleep. Um, he got two treatments. Fairly big treatments. Um, I, in one week, he got a total of uh, 500 million stem cells. Um, subsequently, he got when he got back to the U.S., he got his lungs X-rayed and they are clear. Four months later, he got COVID again, and he goes, "You know what? It was like I had a cold. It was nothing. I didn't feel it in my lungs at all." So there's a range. We see lung improvement absolutely. You know, part of the, the play there, and there's some kind of talk about delivery things in IV versus IM versus intrathecal. Um, when you get uh, stem cells um, via IV, they go into your arm, they go directly to your heart, and then they go to your lungs. A ton of the stem cells get trapped in your lungs and they work from there because they're excreting substances that do a lot of the work that they do. Eventually, they work their, a lot of them work their way free of the lungs and end up in different parts of your body. But it means if you've got lung damage, where these stem cells are going to naturally congregate is in the lungs, and they're going to be there for a considerable amount of time. And all that stem cells do is regenerate tissue. You know, they are just rebuilders of bad infrastructure. So lungs are an awesome thing. Um, GI tracts, tend to respond uh, very quickly um, and very noticeably. And then um, brain and neural issues also, we have people, you know, as they're getting their stem cells, they go, I can feel it in my head. In theory, stem cells can't go through the blood-brain barrier that fast, but it, it's also the uh, kind of chemistry of what's being excreted from the stem cells is going through that barrier like real time and continues to for six to nine uh, months. So lung stuff is awesome.
Yeah. Have you um, worked with people uh, who have come for stem cell therapy that have issues with uh, alcoholism or drug addiction? Um, absolutely. Alcohol injured and drug injured. Um, if someone is um, is drinking a lot of alcohol, we'd probably tell them you probably aren't a candidate for stem cells because stem cells um, will be wiped out by alcohol. And that it's not like, well, I had one beer two days after stem cell therapy, I just killed all my stem cells. Uh, we did have one of our first clients came down here and young person um, had long COVID, felt terrible in many ways, got stem cell therapy and within 48 hours of therapy felt so great, they went to the bar in their hotel, drank so much the hotel staff had to carry them physically up to their room and put them to bed. Okay, and then the next day, um, it was like all of the benefit of the stem cell uh, you know, treatment was gone. It was, you just detoxed yourself of stem cells. So there are, um, with alcohol in particular, uh, if someone said, I, I want to do this and, you know, have it help my liver and pancreas and things while I'm still drinking a lot of alcohol, it would not probably be expected to do much for you. On the other hand, our, uh, on the drug side, our doctors here made the comments that virtually 100% of the clients we brought down come arrive over-medicated on the very things you're talking about. They're on benzos, they're on sleeping meds, they're on anti-anxiety meds, um, they're on blood pressure meds. They go, 100% of your clients are currently over-medicated. Now, interesting thing is the doctors do not say, hey, before you come get uh, stem cell therapy for what that's causing in you, either go get a detox because most of them, their detox pathways aren't working. So, you know, getting a detox process to them works like shaking a snow globe. The snow stays in there and now you just stirred it all up and they get sicker. The doctors also don't say, hey, reduce the meds before you come because the same thing, it's like uh, you're putting your body under additional stress by starting that tapering process. So come get your organs to start to be regenerated. When you get stronger, um, you're going to be able to taper or uh, withdraw completely, um, you know, much easier. I've got to tell you, I saw it with my wife. She had been on Xanax for 20 years. She didn't think about, I've had stem cells, now I should get off Xanax. What she found was she started sleeping and so she didn't reach for the Xanax. And then pretty soon she said, you know, I don't do Xanax anymore. And this was a year and a half before we ever dealt with anyone with drug injury. So when the organs start working right, um, you find you don't need those meds, those supplements. And then the doctors will step in and say, hey, your issue. So Mark, if you came in and you said, I've got these drug injuries and I'm taking these for those drug injuries. Um, and it may be smaller doses of what injured me. Um, or it may be other things to deal with the symptoms of those. Our doctors will say during that treatment and after, now is the time when you need to be real careful because 
you don't need those drugs. And if you stay on the same dosage you're on, you actually could start to, I don't want to call it overdose, but you'd be dramatically over-medicated. Yeah. Um, your body, those organs are now working. Um, it'd be like, you know, you're getting um, insulin uh, because you're diabetic and uh, your diabetes went away, but you keep taking insulin. That's not good for you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah. So one big question I'm sure a lot of people listening, I mean, you know, people listening to this are going to have is, uh, I would just say, for example, say that I, um, you know, I made an appointment, I got a plane ticket and a place to stay and I I flew down there. Yeah. And but how how much would it cost for like a, a basic treatment, like say like an IV treatment of, of, of like whatever, like a minimal uh, standard amount of stem cells would be to get some kind of response or improvement? Like what, where does that treatment start at as far as cost and what would the range be? So um, the easy part is talking about kind of what is stem cells cost. And if you use a round number, call it $40 per million cells for these best in the world, freshest cells. And that includes, you know, the nurse and all the, you know, everything supporting that. You're not paying extra for anything. So if you said, I'm going to get, um, you know, 100 million cells, it's going to cost me ballpark $4,000. Okay. okay. A small treatment, my wife's first treatment was 10 million cells. 10 million times 40, you know, you can, <laughs> you're talking, it was in the hundreds of dollars, not the thousands of dollars. Um, someone, especially with the drug injured, a lot of the treatments are in that kind of 10 to 25 million. And so you go, okay, 25 million, I'm talking, you know, a thousand bucks. With the um, autoimmune folks and the long COVID folks, and, you know, people with uh, specific organ damage, but weren't reacting to things. So, you know, my friend with sarcoidosis, me with bad, you know, with lung freezer burn, whatever, um, you know, they might've gotten a, a dose of 200 million uh, or a dose of 300 million. Um, it's very common for those kind of issues where you're just doing a lot of um, organ regeneration that a bigger dose is better. And, yeah. you know, I have no reaction to that because I don't have a whole lot of, you know, I, I don't have all of these drug um, injuries that, you know, then burned out neuroreceptors and then get triggered by things. And I don't have autoimmune. So I can take, in my case, large doses and get a lot of work done in a very specific place and literally not feel it at all. My wife, a 10 million dose uh, she stayed in bed more or less for about three days, mostly with fatigue, you know, because your body, it's like a small dose, but your body just went to the gym inside the gymnasium inside your body and it's regenerating organs. And you are going to feel like, wow, like I feel like I did a workout without working out. So it's not hitting me in my muscles, but it's hitting me inside my abdomen, inside my, my brain. And so I need to lay around and rest. So one very important factor that we um, do, especially for drug injured, I tell people, it's not about the more stem cells, the better. It's the more time, the better. I'd rather see you get 10 or 25 million cells and say, um, my importance is having enough time here where I can take three to four days before my next treatment. Instead of getting... Um, like some of these other clinics, I'll give you a hundred million today. And then within 48 hours, you get another hundred million, then go home. And it's like, well, you don't need a hundred and 
you definitely need more rest than having 200 million in 48 hours. So those, are, those all intertwine how much time versus uh, how many cells. The drug injured um, folks are tending to be, you know, uh, treatment amounts that are in the single digit thousands where a lot of the folks we dealt with, um, with a lot of autoimmune and long COVID stuff, you know, you're talking 10 to $20,000 um, treatments. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it sounds like a lot of it is in the range of, of what dental work would cost in the U.S. Like a cavity you can fill for two or $300. A crown is like around a thousand. An implant might be one to 3000. So it sounds like for a lot of it, you can just think of it as like, it's kind of like the cost of U.S. dental work. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. We have, we've had more than one client, and there's one gentleman in particular. I, I enjoy him. Uh, he's, um, he's just got this interesting perspective on life, and he's uh, uh, of Indian origin, and I think it's just maybe his um, way of looking at things. It, it's somewhat inspiring. He, um, he goes... Uh, He's been down to see us twice. He had Lyme disease for 13 years. And after his second treatment, he said, I no longer have Lyme disease at all. And I've done all the tests. You can't really test positive, negative directly for Lyme, but all of the you know, indicators, triggers, whatever are completely. And my doctor says, you no longer have Lyme at all. And you... And he goes, you know what? I got free uh, stem cell treatment. He goes, because when I came down uh, to you guys, um, I had a whole bunch of bridge work redone and the money I saved on my dental paid for the stem cells. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and I can tell you, I, I had since in the last two years, I've got a lot of 20 year old crowns. Um, I have had four of them replaced. I think they're 200, $250 you know, per crown to have that replaced with uh, you know, with porcelain or what were these cubic zirconia, I think, but like huh. state-of-the-art dental work um, for, you know, and, and I'm paying cash with no insurance. You know, if I did that in the States, I would be in the thousands of dollars instead of, you know, a couple hundred dollars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's a whole nother topic. You know, we can definitely probably use like a, some recommendations for some good dental clinics there. Oh, you so, bet. <laughs> but um yeah, so so I, I just one one last question. I was just uh, um, wondering, you know, we talked about the, you know, I mean, what you're offering is unique. I mean, you you have the the resources of what's legal and available in Mexico of of the this fresh source of uh, umbilical cord tissue mesenchymal stem cells, and and then you also, in addition to that, are following the strictest standards and and over overseen by uh, you know the the Mexican equivalent of the uh, the FDA. And then you have like other places around the world or, and, you know, we mentioned Grand Cayman, Panama, and, and this one clinic that, that says that they get cells straight from this FDA approved lab. And I think you said Colorado, um, mm -hmm. but could someone go to like Colorado or, or nearby and actually get those stem cells from that, that lab? Are they, for some reason, like, how is it that that isn't available? Like, what is it that they can't get in the U.S.? Why can't they get it? And how is it being made in a lab in Colorado if, if people can't get that in the U.S.? So it, it's, it's the, uh, uh, is it the Joseph Hellerman book, uh, Catch-22? If one of the, in my twisted sense of humor, one of the funniest, most ironic books ever. And 
you know, kind of dealing with stem cells and the FDA approval process is like catch 22. Um, if you go to the FDA website and look at um, what are the risk factors that uh, the potential risk factors that the FDA says, until we know enough about these and enough clinical trials have been done, then you cannot promote stem cells as a treatment for any disease. Uh, so uh, you, uh, I can't lift, list them off the top of my head, but literally one of the five um, risk factors is potential infection at the injection site. Okay, you're giving someone an IV. There's always a potential uh, um, risk of infection at the uh, <laughs> injection site. So doctors and nurses commonly use an alcohol swab <laughs> and then yeah. give you the IV and it's all fine. But it's like, yeah, but we wanna know that particular to stem cells. Yeah, but the needle is not like carrying, you know, it's such a red herring and yet who's going to go run a, spend millions of dollars to run a study on uh, potential injection site risk with stem cells. Like who's gonna spend the money doing that? Yeah. So you cannot, uh, like if we brought Ophelia Rises up to the US, the way we run it today, they go, ah, as the FDA, you cannot um, market these stem cells. So now that if I'm a lab, can I create the stem cells? Absolutely. But then um, I have to ship them to someone who's going to use them. And I, so I can't be a retail person. I have to be a wholesale person. And then who's going to be using those labs? Well, a doctor or a clinic. Um, well, the doctors in the U.S. cannot then advertise <laughs> this. Yeah. And so right now uh, you see a lot of, there are a lot of stem cell uh, clinics in the U.S., but go look at what they do. Most of them are actually um, marketing exosomes. Exosomes are a type of stem cell. Exosomes do not redo, uh, they do not do regenerative work. So you can technically say they are exosomes and you can technically say that they came from an umbilical cord, those are true, but they, what they do is they are a much, much smaller. I think they're about 1,000th the size of say a mesenchymal stem cell. They get to areas of inflammation. They're attracted to areas of inflammation fast. They get there and then they basically attract stem cells. Well, if I'm a six year old man, I don't have that many stem cells in my body to be attracted to those exosomes. So exosomes are very complementary. If I get good stem cells injected into me and the exosomes go to those areas fast and attract the stem cells, that all works together. But getting you know, half of that is like putting air in your tires, but not putting gas in your tank. It, it, your car isn't going to run. Um, so a lot of the clinics are doing exosomes. A lot of them are doing these, you know, just go ask them what their stem cells are. If you ask a lot of questions, they will quickly hang up on you. Um, is what wow. you find. It's, it, it's very much wild, wild west. That's not just a U.S. thing. In Mexico, it's just as wild west. You, you know, you can get, uh, you can get cheap stem cells. We have clients who go, you know what, $40? No. I've got a doctor who's offering to do it for $15 a million. And we're just like, okay, take the list of 70 questions or whatever it is that we tell you for due diligence and ask those questions. Time and time again, They'll go get the cheap stem cells and they'll come, they'll say, A, I wish I had not done that. B, I got sick as a dog. 
um, or at best, nothing at all happened and I wasted my money. And, I, and you kind of go, well, yeah, but you know, like if I sell you a brand new $40,000 car, but somehow I can get it to you for 15,000, you ought to ask some questions. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, of course, uh, in the US, we have we have no government corruption, the FDA, we can completely trust. But on the other hand, you know, uh, we wonder, you know, you wonder, like, say, like a drug company or a, a medical device company, you know, they say they have like a hip implant or knee replacement right. device. And, you know, they go to the FDA approval guy and he says, well, you know, when these stem cells become legal, you guys are going to be out of business. And then you imagine some lobbyist or, or rep from the company says, well, well, let's just make sure that never happens. So um, versus, oh, let's lean into it and spend money to put our spend our own money <laughs> to prove the tests that put us out of business. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a conflict of interest. And that, that's true throughout the uh, healthcare industry in the U.S. You know, there, there's things that definitely would be helpful to people that are suppressed because uh, they're not of the economic benefit of, of some very large corporations that are powerful influencers in the government. Yeah, let me add, let me add one area because uh, you just uh, touched on it, where we see that over and over again. Um, this was tangential and we didn't even promote it or even think of it. We've had all these people coming in for a year, year and a half of autoimmune. Now it's turning into a ton of people with drug injury and still some autoimmune. But so many people would come in and go, hey, by the way, while I'm there, how will stem cells do for my, my bad knee or my bad hip? And we've got great, Guadalajara is um, arguably the best or you know, on par with the medical community in Mexico City. They've got multiple medical universities, um, more doctors, you know, in lab coats and scrubs walking around downtown than, than any place I've ever lived. Great medical community, great orthopedic doctors. So we started going, well, I don't know, we've, we've got a great doctor network here, we'll set you up. And we take people down and they get an evaluation. And they go, oh, well, I need 25 million. The doctor is prescribing me an IV of 100 million plus, say, 25 million directly into uh, my knee socket. And people would walk out and go, I'm walking like I haven't walked since I was 12 years old. And, you know, months later, they're like, I'm snow skiing on legs that I couldn't, you know, in years could not do that anymore. Um, so orthopedic is huge. And we started to see it trickle over where someone's coming down for autoimmune, their wife, husband, that support person, whatever, like watching them have these great results and going, hey, by the way, I did mention to you, I've got that, you know, bum hip. Could you get me in with your ortho person and, and get me an evaluation? I would tell you our doctors on the ortho side, um, in about one third of the cases, They'll go, yep, I can give you that knee or that hip injection, and you're going to be done. You don't need anything else. You'll never come back for a treatment or anything else. Um, in about one third of the cases, they'll go, you know what? We can treat that. You get some degeneration. Not sure if it will solve all of it. You uh, may not have as much cartilage as you'd like or whatever, but the worst case is you might have to come back in five years and get some more stem cells. Not every year, not every six months, but you know, maybe in five years, you're gonna to wanna to do it again. In one third of the case, they look and go, nope, you're gonna need a new socket. And we can do that for you here, or you can go home and get you know, that new need, that new hip, but no, stem cells are not going to cure that. This is, this is just bread and butter that can be done here where 
um, you would take away two thirds of all the people who are getting um, uh, joint replacement and go, yeah, you're never gonna need that. Um, you can imagine, you know, the doctors and the companies who make those devices and so forth are not in a hurry for people to go, wait, for a couple thousand bucks, I can get a couple of shots, one in my knee and one in my arm and not need replacement of a joint ever. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, that, and that's incredible. I mean, everybody, uh, I mean, there's sports injuries, there's, you know, just overuse and people who are overweight and just, you know, just years of, of joint stress, you know, in the hips and knees. Um, I mean, so that that's a, a huge number of people that could benefit from an alternative to to going for one surgery after another and joint replacement. And um, yeah, so that's incredible. Uh, what about, you know, just for example, like in the, um, you know, we talked about people who have been addicted and drug injured, but, you know, people like, for example, heroin addicts or recover, people recovering from heroin addiction uh, or even stimulant addiction, um, you know, like methamphetamine, cocaine, you know, yeah. may have injured their hearts and they may have like in their future, five, 10, 20 years from, from now or from, from when they got clean, uh, they, they may be facing like a, a valve replacement or, you know, heart failure just from an overworked heart. Um, you know, can this, this, I would assume this can probably, if it can help the lungs and other tissues, it can probably help the heart also. Yeah. And we've talked, we've had uh, clients um, with that particular condition where, you know, past life uh, habits um, cause permanent heart, heart damage. And you're talking young people, you know, who's, hearts are now like uh, a bad 90 year old and uh, the first thing you'd start off with is trying to treat that iv just like we talked about with the lungs it's going to go directly to the heart and then you're going to see um, if that will be sufficient if someone has a uh, talk to our doctors in particular about this if they've got something like specific a uh, valve problem or a specific part of the heart that is not um uh, that is, you know, um, dysfunctional. The other option is uh, they can literally do a catheter up through the groin all the way to the heart and literally mm -hmm. administer stem cells locally to the heart without having to open up your chest or do anything, you know, like that um, and literally treat you, uh, treat that portion of the heart the same way you're treating a knee with an injection to the knee. And so, there is a range of ways to get this done that are, um, you know, different levels of invasiveness, but then have the ability to focus on very specific areas of uh, delivering the stem cells. Oh, that, that's incredible. Um, okay, yeah, I mean, this this is such a, an incredible, huge topic. Uh, uh, JT Fisher, um, can you, uh, now I know your organization is named Ophelia Rising. Um, can you tell me how can people find you? Um, I think you have a, you have a Facebook group and you have a, a website. Yeah, that's the easiest way. We we um, my wife set this up. Well, literally after her ten million you know experience um, <laughs> that changed her life, she's sitting in bed um, and she said, "You know what? I'm going to set this up." I had to fly back to Texas and do some things. And then I came back days later. And while she was doing it, sitting in bed at this Airbnb, Airbnb with our friends, Tony and Roseanne, uh, she is 
um, creating a website, creating a Facebook page. And, and what she said was, you know what? It's not just going to be a landing page. Every clinic has a landing page and it's, it has a picture of a lab and a picture of a doctor and a, pic, a picture of some happy clients with a handful of one or two sentence testimonial. And, you know, fine, but um, there's no connection there. Um, she said, no, we're going to have a community. And um, so our, our, our web pages there just, you know, we have a web page, but the community is Ophelia Rises and it's on Facebook. Um, and uh, we have, I don't know, 16 over 16, 1700 um, members um, of that group. It's a private group and um, it is an open community. People put questions and answers there all the time. I, on my end, the goal is always be finding good, high quality, independent research, post that up. Um, we also do a weekly free um, Zoom call. It's Wednesdays, 11 a.m. in the morning, central time, where it's open mic. People get on there and go, I've got a question, you know, tell me about a stem cell. I've got a question, tell me about, you know, my knee or my liver or my, uh, you know, drug injury. Um, but they can hear from other people in, in our community. That's where clients who have been here for treatment um, have the space, but definitely not the obligation to tell whatever story they want to tell about how their uh, treatment went. We don't edit them. We don't ask them to put testimonials. We don't pay or give discounts for testimony, but people can say it and share what they want um, as they go through their process, after their process. Uh, so it gives people the ability to go, hey, I'm drug injured and I've heard about stem cells now, but I want to hear about someone who's recently been there and gone to that clinic and, you know, gotten cells from that lab. Uh, the only thing we do is we actually encourage super strongly for our clients, when you get treatment, don't be on social media while you do it. And then be real uh, conservative about how quickly you start posting your sensations because you're going to have, you know, potentially hundreds or thousands of questions a day from people going, okay, me too. And I got, I got 12 questions. And then an hour later, 12 more questions. And then six other people are asking you 12 more questions. And literally you're, you know, you're overwhelmed by social media on this, but uh, Facebook is our, uh, is a place for our community. Yeah, and that, that's really important. That's a great thing, you know, that, and uh, people, I think rightly so, tend to have uh, more trust in an organization that has a community where there can be open uh, discussions about things. So that's really great that you have the community. And I love the, the clients who are so willing to share. Um, I've got one coming in on Monday. She's been on uh, every weekly call that we have you know, that I can remember in the last several months. And she's completely, here's my condition. Here's what I'm dealing with. Um, and she's saying this in front of like, um, on any given call, there might be 10 people or 30 people, you know, on that call. Um, she's sharing that. And here's how long I'm staying. And I'm going to be talking about it the whole time I'm there. Uh, she gets on uh, our Facebook page. She's on it every single day, um, interacting with people. Um, We've got so many folks who have been through it and are so sharing and willing to answer questions. And, you know, the credibility is, 
I mean, they can hear from me or they can hear from my wife, but you know, we're, we're the principals and that kind of stuff. There's nothing like hearing it from people who have walked in your shoes, have made that decision. Now, something like half of our clients that have come down over the last year, and I'd say probably more than half, have been women coming down here by themselves. That's fairly intimidating. You're choosing to go to a foreign country, uh, to Guadalajara, which is not exactly as known as say Puerto Vallarta or Cancun or Cabo, um, by yourself um, to get this thing called stem cell treatment. And it took huge courage for these clients and particularly these uh, women who decided, you know what, I don't have the family support. I got family who are critical of me thinking about that or who think it's all just in my mind. And if I just went to the gym, my problems would go away and I just need to quit being a slacker. And, so when people hear it from clients who've overcome those obstacles, made this decision, had that courage, um, and now are sharing it, it's like, well, that's, that's what the community is all about. JT Fisher, thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, it's a real privilege. Thank you very much for having me. I, I uh, enjoyed and thank you for sharing information with people. I've listened to some of your other podcasts and I just go, wow, what a refreshing voice. <laughs>